Hello, my name is John. I'll be reading our Bible passage today. Uh, today's passage comes from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 to 22, starting from verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one, Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Uh, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, uh, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, a bank in, uh, in New York uh, arranged for some flowers to be sent to a competitor. Uh, they'd recently moved into their, their new premises. And uh, there was a mix-up at the florists. And so the card read, with our deepest sympathy. <laughs> the florist was greatly embarrassed uh, and apologized, but was even more embarrassed when she realized that the card that was intended for the bank uh, was attached to a wreath sent to a funeral. Oh. And the card read, congratulations on your new location. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> what is our new location going to be? I don't know if you ever thought about that. Um, do you know? Can you be sure of, of where you're going ultimately? As I, thank you, I'm glad to know that. As I was preparing this talk, I heard of a 92-year-old lady who uh, was in hospital and she'd caught one of those hospital bugs and she became very unwell. But as she was recovering, she was visited by the hospital, hospital consultant who said to her, if ever this kind of situation were to happen again, would you wish us to resuscitate you? Oh no, she said, imagine getting to the gates of heaven only to find myself back here again. <laughs> I don't think that's a good choice for a Christian. <laughs> she was confident of her eternal future. She was certain uh, 
of her destination. Are you? See, it, it's, it's a bit between that's uncertain, isn't it? It's now, here and now. Uh, how do you face the uncertainties of life in this fallen world, in this COVID world in which we're living? How do we navigate the twists and turns of providence as we make our way to the eternal city? And the answer is screaming at us here in this chapter, isn't it? It's leaping at us from the page by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. That's the drumbeat of this chapter. Uh, the American philosopher Henry David Thoreau says, if a man does not keep pace with his companions, maybe it's because he hears a different drumbeat. And all of these people that we're looking at here in this chapter are marching to a different drumbeat, aren't they? Uh, all of them are out of tune with the times out of step with their contemporaries because they have believed God and they're looking for that city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Now, now in the previous talk, we saw faith finding favor with God. We, we saw the things that we must surely believe. And that theme runs right through the chapter. All these people uh, are commended for their faith. Not that faith is anything in and of itself. Faith doesn't exist in a vacuum, as we saw. It's always a response to the word of God. Faith is taking God at his word and trusting him, which all of these folk did, and they're commended for it. But faith is also forward-looking. It's being sure of what we hope for and certain about what we do not yet see. And that's beautifully demonstrated here in the middle of this chapter, uh, particularly in the case of Abraham. What you see here, that's what we're looking at in this section, what you see here is faith facing the future, faith looking forward, even though, humanly speaking, there isn't much to look forward to. That's the kind of world that we're living in. People are suffering uh, all sorts of mental health issues because of the, the lockdowns and the, you know, just the, the, the fear and the anxiety that goes with that. Uh, and even when this, humanly speaking, the world's always been like that. There's always been crises that people have had to face. But faith is always forward-looking. It's future-orientated. So I want you to see that there. And uh, you'll see that in your, uh, in your booklet, in your outline. Uh, there are four things I want to say about um, Abraham's faith. Uh, not just Abraham, Abraham and Sarah, because they're, they're an item. <laughs> they're together. Uh, let me just tell you what they are, and then we'll look at them. By, uh, the first one is this, in verses 8 to 10, by faith, we're told they obeyed the call of God. And then in verses 11 to 16, by faith, we're told they trusted God's promise. And then verses 17 to 19, by faith, they passed God's test. And then verses 20 to 22, by faith, they experienced God's faithfulness. So let's just have a look at those four things. First of all, they obeyed God's call. You see that there in verse 8? By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. <laughs> uh, next to Jesus, Abraham uh, is arguably the most important person in the Bible. He's given 12 verses here in this chapter. That's significant. Moses only gets five. And the others just get one each, and some don't even get a look in. Um, 
But it shouldn't surprise us that, that, that Abraham features so prominently in this chapter, because after all, he is the granddaddy of faith, isn't he? As Paul says in Romans, he's the father of all who believe. And uh, if you were to ask Peter or Paul or James or John, what does it mean to believe? They would all point you to Abraham. So let's take a look at Abraham, and let me try and walk you through his journey of faith. It all starts there in verse 8 with the call of God. By faith, Abraham, when called. Now, you might ask yourself, how did, uh, how did that happen? How did uh, God call Abraham? Did he hear an audible voice? Um, was it a dream? Was it a kind of restlessness in his spirit, you know, like uh, birds getting ready to migrate? Well, we don't really know. We're not told. Except that Stephen, in his speech in Acts chapter 7, tells us that the God of glory appeared to him. The God of glory appeared to him. God came into Abraham's life. He, he saw him who was invisible, just like Moses did at the burning bush. God became real to him. And so I want to ask you, has anything like that ever happened to you? It, it's, it's called conversion. I know that's a word we're not supposed to use these days. <laughs> but the Bible does. Are you converted? Whether in a blinding flash of light, like Paul on the Damascus Road, or probably more likely gradually over a period of time, has your life turned round? Because you've had an encounter with a living God. The God of glory has appeared to you. God has become real to you. He's made himself known to you. It's ironic, isn't it, that in, in our circles, the idea of calling has sometimes been used to justify the status quo. You know, the rich man in his castle, the poor man at his gate, he made them high or lowly and ordered their estate. And so stay where you are, whatever you're calling. Uh, that's a misunderstanding of what Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 7, I think. When God called Abraham, he didn't tell him to stay where he was. When God called Abraham, he told him to get up and go. And by faith, he got up and he went, even though his destination was as yet unknown. And when he arrived in this place called Canaan, we're told in verse 9 that he lived in a tent. I don't know if you saw that cute, really cute uh, video on Facebook a few months ago now when five-year-old um, Princess Charlotte had that conversation with 94-year-old David Attenborough about spiders. Do you remember that? She asked him if he liked spiders. He said, I love spiders. Spiders are so clever. The, the way they make their web, how do they do it? Do you know? Do you know? It's a beautiful thing to see a spider's web glistening in the morning dew. We, we marvel at the intricate network of gossamer threads glistening in the sunlight. But it all begins with a leap of faith. The spider, this is apparently how he, how he does it. The spider bungee jumps into nowhere. And it launches itself into the wind, trailing the first thread, and is carried to an anchor point. And everything depends on that first line, which then becomes the route along which the spider travels to weave the whole structure. Without, without that initial leap of faith, there would be nothing. It's beautiful, isn't it? Our creator did that. Our creator imagined the spider <laughs> and gave him the brains, if spiders have brains, <laughs> or the instincts to know how to weave a web. <laughs> Beautiful. 
And that's what Abraham did. When God spoke to him, he jumped off into nowhere. At least that's what it must have looked like to his friends and family. But faith, you see, it isn't a leap into the dark. It's a leap into the light. Just as the spider leaps looking for an anchor point, so you and I have that anchor point, don't we? In the gospel, in the word of God. Abraham didn't just jump into the unknown. He launched out in faith, relying on God and trusting God's promise. Again, let me ask you, have you done that? Have you put God's word to the test in your own life? Are you living your life trusting in God's promise of a better world to come? See, and it's not just a leap of faith, it's a life of faith. But by faith, we're told he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. He was extremely rich. He was the Bill Gates or the Richard Branson of his day. He lived in the cradle of civilization. Ur of the Chaldees was not a primitive place. It was a very impressive city. The archaeologists have found that out, and they're telling us that. And Abraham was a very wealthy man. He had camels and goats and sheep and donkeys and servants. He had it all. And then the God of glory appeared to him. And he chose to live in a tent. Not that he had to, there were plenty of cities around, but he chose to. I mean, why would you live in a drafty old tent when you can afford the best room in the plushest hotel in Canaan? Why? Well, see what it says there in verse 10? Canaan was not his final destination. He was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Living in a tent was a lifestyle choice. It, it was more than that. It was a testimony that he was looking forward to something bigger and better in the future, something beyond this life, something promised to him by God. Charles Dutton is a successful Broadway actor and, and film director with a colorful past. As a young man, he spent seven years in prison for manslaughter. And uh, when asked by a journalist how he managed to turn his life around, he said, unlike the other inmates, I never decorated the walls of my cell. He was looking forward to getting out. He was looking forward to a future, a more promising future for himself. And so he used that time in prison to prepare for it. And see, and if we are Abraham's children, if we are people of faith and our faith is forward-looking, then it, it'll show in our lifestyle choices, won't it? Christians will be people who sit lightly to this world. We don't have to have all life's glittering prizes. We don't have to have all these things that people chase after. We sit lightly to this world because of the world to come. And yet too often we just sort of settle down, don't we? As if this is the only world that there, that there is. So often there's nothing to distinguish us from unbelievers around us in terms of our lifestyle. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie Waterworld by Kevin Costner. I wouldn't recommend it. It's a pretty ridiculous piece of futuristic nonsense. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's about a world that is completely covered in water, and it's been that way for as long as anyone can remember. And everyone lives on these massive artificial islands. And the main character is a guy known as the Mariner, played by Kevin Costner. He's this burnt-out, cynical, half-human, half-amphibious, extremely reluctant hero. Anyway, at a crucial point in the movie, he rescues this woman and I think, and her child as well, I think. 
and he takes them on board his boat, and, and the woman begins to talk to him about this place she's heard of called Dry Land. She wants to know if he's, if he's heard of it, and he, he kind of dismisses the idea, insisting that uh, there's no such place, no such place exists. He lashes out at the woman. He says, what makes you so sure that there is dry land? How do you know it even exists? To which the woman responds, holding up her hands, saying, look at us. Look at the way we are. We weren't made, we weren't made to live in the sea. We, were meant to live in a we weren't meant to live in a place like this. We were meant for something different. And, and isn't that the testimony of God's people? Shouldn't that be our testimony? That there's something better? We were not meant to live in a world like this with hearts like ours under these sorts of conditions. We were and we are meant for something else, something better, a better country, a heavenly one, it says here in this chapter. But who's going to live in this brave new world which God promises us? Which God promises to Abraham? Notice here, not only the, the promise of a place, but also the promise of a people. That's the second thing I want you to see here. By faith, they obeyed God's call to the place, and by faith, they trusted God's promise of a people, didn't they? So look at uh, verses 11 to 16. God promised to make Abraham the father of a great nation. With so many descendants, you wouldn't be able to count them. There's only one problem, of course. Abraham is impotent and Sarah is sterile, and they're both in their 90s. Abraham is almost 100, in fact. At first, they thought it was a joke. I love those chapters in Genesis. They laugh. <laughs> Till they realize that God's serious about this. And they believed God. Abraham said to Sarah, let's make a baby and see what she says in verse 11. By faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and, and he as good as dead, I love this. Yeah, he's got one foot in the grave. I mean, they, they're more likely to be, uh, you know, in the geriatric clinic than the, the, the antenatal class. <laughs> and so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. And you say, how is that possible? Well, with God, nothing is impossible. Open your eyes, look around you. I mean, here we are. I mean, there's about 30-odd of us here in this room, but there are billions of us around the world. Everyone who believes in Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. Isn't that right? God always does what he says. He, he's prepared a place for those who trust him, a glorious city with unshakable foundations, and he will people that place through the preaching of the gospel with men and women from every nation and tribe and tongue. And he's doing it right now. Hundreds and thousands of people are becoming Christians every day. More than two and a half billion people around the world professing to follow Jesus. Do you believe that? That Jesus said the night before he went to the cross, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to be with me where I am so that you may be with me. It's a prepared place for a prepared people. And what kind of a place is that going to be? The place that Jesus prepares for those who love him. Well, see what it says in verse 10. 
It's a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Architects and builders don't always get on, do they? Uh, one of our sons is having an extension built to his house, and, uh, you know, the architect has done a really good job, but then the builder has to build what the architect has creatively designed. And then, of course, the builder has to grapple with all the, uh, you know, the bureaucrats there in the town hall with their, you know, bylaws and... <laughs> Architects and builders don't have an easy relationship sometimes. But imagine living in a world where God is both the architect and the builder. Just think about that. If God gives a world like this to his enemies, what kind of a world is he going to give to his friends? If God, the God who imagined this universe, this world that we live in, what kind of a world is he going to give those who love him and who trust him? When he's the architect and the builder. That's where you're heading, you know, if you're trusting in Jesus. You're not going to just survive death and sit on a cloud and twang a harp. <laughs> you're going to live in a brand new world. Designed by God, built by God. And that's what's promised us in the gospel. It's where the Bible ends up, isn't it? With this heavenly city coming down out of heaven from God. And Abraham can see right through to the end of the Bible. With the eyes of faith. And he looks forward to this city with foundations. See, I feel sorry for the politicians sometimes, you know. Um, I, 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 they're on a hiding to nothing, really, aren't they? They can't win. I mean, I, it's a noble uh, thing to aim for, I think, to try and make this world a better place. But, you know, the gospel is not about making the world a better place. It's about desiring a better country. Well, it's the promise of a world populated by people who are made new by the death and resurrection of Jesus. What Abraham looked for and what John saw coming down from heaven in the book of Revelation was a new heaven and a new earth. And that's the vision that was planted in Abraham's heart the day that God called him. That's what kept him moving forward. That's what he was living for. That's the vision he passed on to his kids and his grandkids, didn't he? Look what it says in verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. We have a word for it in Welsh. <laughs> Hiraith. Uh, which is kind of, it's not really homesickness, it's a longing for home. Except that for us as Christians, home is not where we come from. It's where we're going to, isn't it? Our citizenship is in heaven. We're refugees here. Just like Abraham, without status or security, we're just passing through. And we long for a better country. Uh, have you experienced that longing? Do you know what it's like? C.S. Lewis describes it as uh, the scent of a flower that we've not yet found. Uh, the echo of a tune that we've not yet heard. News from a country that we've not yet visited. How can we even imagine such a place? Well, he says, because such a place exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. 
And if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. That's it, isn't it? God has placed eternity in our hearts, and we're restless until we find our rest in him. So by faith, Abraham left home. He lived in tents. He sat loose to this world. He refused to make his home here. I love the way um, Eugene Peterson uh, describes that. Um, he talks about Abraham looking down the, the corridors of, of history. Um, I've lost this quote. I may come back before I finish. Abraham, your father, he says, with jubilant faith, looked down the corridors of history and saw my day coming. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. So by faith, Abraham um, uh, left home. By faith, Sarah said to her octogenarian husband, let's make a baby, and Isaac is born. And they obey God's call. They trust God's promises. And then look at verse 17. God puts Abraham's faith to the test. In the most dramatic way, he tells him to sacrifice Isaac. Now, just think about that for a moment. When he left Ur of the Chaldees, he was shutting the door on his past. But now it looks like God is shutting the door on his future, doesn't it? He tells Abraham to sacrifice, in verse 18, his one and only son, even though God has said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring is going to be reckoned. It's a real test of faith, isn't it? It's almost as if God is slamming the door on everything that he's promised reneging on the covenant. It seems like that, doesn't it? And how, how is God going to bring about his plan and purpose now? See what's happening? God is testing Abraham's faith. And he passed the test with flying colors. Look what it says in verse 19. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. He reasoned. It's interesting, I don't want to read too much into this, but in the chapter, I think it's Genesis 22, when they set out to uh, you know, Mount Moriah with Abraham and Isaac, and Isaac would be a, a grown man by then, he's not a little toddler. Uh, as they set out, uh, he says to the men, uh, wait here, we'll come back. We're going up the mountain. We'll and he says, we're coming back. I don't want to read too much into that, but the writer to the Hebrew seems to. He's trying to work this dilemma out, you know. God has promised that it's through his son Isaac that he's going to bring blessing to the whole world. And now he's saying, take Isaac and sacrifice him. I wouldn't like to have been in Abraham's sandals. But he reasoned. His faith led him to this logical conclusion that God cannot lie. God will never renege on his promise. God won't go back on his word. He's told me. That Isaac is the one through whom the Messiah is going to come. The seed of Abraham is going to bring blessing to the world. And so, trusting God to raise the dead, Abraham prepared to offer up Isaac on the altar. He didn't doubt for a moment God's promise to save the world. With jubilant faith, looking down the corridors of history, he saw the day of Christ. That's what faith is. It makes things that are far off close. So by faith, Abraham obeyed God's call, trusted God's promise, passed God's test, and then finally, by faith, Abraham experienced God's faithfulness. So just look at these uh, verses with me as we close, verses 20 to 22, just three verses. 
But, you know, those three verses, verses 20 to 22, cover 30 chapters of Genesis. That's more than half of Genesis. And what we see here in these three verses is God's faithfulness to his covenant. See, Abraham experienced the faithfulness of God being worked out in his family. Uh, By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. Now, why does the writer of the Hebrews just skip through these chapters so speedily? Why does he just pass over Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and their children so quickly in just a few verses? Because he wants us to see at a glance the faithfulness of God to his covenant. Yes, and when you read these chapters in Genesis, you discover there are all sorts of twists and turns, all sorts of imperfections in this family of faith. Shocking things. It's all there, and yet... God is faithful to his covenant, even though they are unfaithful very often. God doesn't disown them. It says that there in verse 16, doesn't it? It says he's not ashamed. Some of the things they did and got up to were shameful. But God is not ashamed to call them his children. He's not ashamed to be called their God. He's faithful, even to unfaithful people like ourselves. So by faith, Abraham's son Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed the sons of Joseph. And in a flash before our eyes, we move from from father to son to grandson, and then to a great-grandson, and even to great-great-grandson, to show us God's faithfulness to his covenant promise and to his covenant people, through whom he has brought into the world Jesus, the promised seed of Abraham, in whom all the families of the earth are blessed. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that all the promises of God are yes and amen in him. We thank you, Lord, that uh, Abraham saw that uh, so clearly, it seems, and, and not in some kind of theoretical way, but in a way that made his heart leap with joy. He saw your day coming. Oh, he didn't see it as clearly as we do, looking back with the benefits of the New Testament and But he did see what you promised. And he knew, Lord, that even though he might not live to see that day in this world, nevertheless, that day was coming. And his faith kept him moving forward. And we pray, Lord, that we might have such faith in these troubled times, and that we might be able to point people in this world to Jesus, in whom we have a future and a hope. We ask this in his name. Amen.